0: Peter chapter number 1, and I'll begin reading there with verse 3. I believe the Lord has something specific that He wants to speak to us about here this morning. Is your heart open to hear from the Word of the Lord, to receive what the Word of the Lord would say to us? Sometimes the Word of the Lord comes to us in the form of a challenge. Sometimes it comes to us in the form of conviction. Sometimes it's like a seed that just takes time for it to begin to germinate and take root. And then eventually a stalk appears from the soil of the ground and then fruit eventually is harvested from that. Well, The Word of God sometimes works in that manner. And we have to be sensitive to allow the Word of God to have its perfect work in our lives. Amen. So I want to begin reading there in 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living or a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me believe we're living in the last times. And I believe that things are being revealed, things as far as people's walk with God. Certainly, just as a building is revealed in a storm, we're seeing people's walk with God. We're seeing it revealed through the storms that are coming in these last days. But I want to focus your attention back on verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten. Everybody say begotten. Begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to speak for a little while from this subject. Spiritual DNA spiritual DNA let's ask the Lord to help us and to move in the remainder of this service this morning would you pray with me Lord Jesus we're praying God for your help we're asking God for your mighty hand of anointing to be upon us I'm praying Jesus that you would bless the word of the Lord that is already anointed and alive I pray that you would bless it to our hearts You see, the hunger that exists in this room, I'm praying, Lord, that every hungry heart would be filled. And I pray, God, that you would meet the need of every person that sincerely is desirous of you meeting their need. God, you know the ones that need the Holy Ghost here this morning. I pray that you would fill them with your wonderful Spirit. Every person that needs uh, your mercy and needs your grace in their life, I pray that they could receive what they need from you. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Let's give praise to the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Modern criminology is based on evidence. And it works on the assumption that every criminal leaves his mark or her mark. It may be a footprint, it may be something as simple as a fingerprint, it may be a hair follicle, it may be uh, a fleck of blood, it may be a tire track, but if a detective investigates extensively enough, evidence can be found that will connect the perpetrator the person that committed the crime, to the crime scene. Forensic science has been used to convict many, many criminals through the years. But in the last several years, the use of DNA has been a phenomenal tool in solving difficult crimes. But as much as it has been used to convict people of crime, It has also been used to exonerate people from crimes that they were convicted of. Maybe they were convicted of a crime before uh, DNA evidence was allowed into the courtroom or before it was used, and then after uh, the advent of DNA evidence, it was introduced and they had a retrial, and this person was exonerated and alleviated from the crime, and Sad thing is, many of them perhaps had served years in prison for a crime that they had not committed. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, what if there was a DNA test? Most of you have probably heard of 23andMe, our ancestry, and how that now you can take a DNA test. You can take a little bit of saliva and send it off and uh, they will test that, and they can find all kinds of things uh, concerning your health. In fact, they'll give you uh, a full portfolio that you can look at and you can examine. And it has DNA, what they call DNA markers in that. If you have a propensity for certain diseases, it will be identified in this portfolio. If there are certain things that maybe you're not even aware of, that that uh, you've seen slight symptoms of, but you was wondering where that came from. Sometimes it's astonishing to look and see the connection between these things. And I was wondering if there was a DNA test that could be used uh, to prove the existence of the experience of the Holy Ghost in a person's life. If there was a DNA test that could be used spiritually to prove the new birth and uh, a real Christian experience, I I wonder, I wonder uh, what kind of markers, I wonder what kind of characteristics, I wonder what kind of things would appear in our spiritual genetics. Well, in a sense, there is. And in this first book, first epistle, written by uh, the great fisherman, Simon Peter, the one that is listed first when the apostles are listed. He's always the name that comes first. We know him as being the original Pentecostal preacher on the day of Pentecost. He's the one that preached the message that is the cornerstone of the church in Acts chapter 2. And we particularly look at verse 38 where he said, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I like the next verse. I can hardly quote that one without going on into verse 39 and saying, For this promise, that's what includes me. For this promise is unto you and to your children And all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I'm still thankful for that life-changing message. Amen. Praise God. I'm thankful that I can connect with that. And I have been uh, reborn, if you will. I have experienced this new birth of being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and receiving his wonderful spirit in my life. But just as there is in the medical world, DNA that connects you to certain characteristics in your uh, physical makeup, there is spiritual things that we could look to in the Word of God. And there's a few things here in this passage that I want to emphasize. i like to think that this passage here that I read to you this morning, since it was Simon Peter that wrote these words under the influence of the Holy Ghost, Perhaps he was writing having been influenced by what he had witnessed firsthand all the way back 30, 40 years before when he was with Jesus on a particular night in John chapter 3. When a ruler of the synagogue, a man by the name of Nicodemus came to him under the cloak of darkness. The Bible said he came to him at night. And uh, he began to ask some questions. He said, we know that thou art a teacher sent from God. We recognize, in other words, that there's something different. There's something peculiar. There's something very specific about you that makes you stand out from other men. And uh, we know that you're more than just a man, but you have a special touch upon your life. And the Lord just sort of cut him to the quick. He didn't waste any time uh, because he knew what he was there for because as much as he was man, he was all God. He was omniscient. He knew exactly the thoughts of Nicodemus as he stood there hiding under the cloak of darkness. And he said this, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that's a pretty specific uh, passage of Scripture. And uh, that is, again, a cardinal, uh, I guess, verse that we always refer to when we're leading someone uh, and witnessing to someone about the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's it's all included here. But he says this, and it stands out to me, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He kind of insinuates here that there is even more to see in the kingdom of God than just salvation itself. And I'm not minimizing salvation. It's impossible to see what you need to see as far as the word of God is concerned in the kingdom of God without first being born again is what he's saying. Until you're born again of water and of spirit There's certain revelation. There's certain things that you'll never understand and comprehend about God. That's why a person that is trying to logically get it all figured out before they commit themselves and before they give their life to serving the Lord, before they are obedient to the obvious things that are pointed to in the Word of God, And they say, well, if I can figure it all out, if I can understand all there is to know uh, about certain things in the Scripture, then uh, I'll commit myself to serving the Lord. Well, chances are you'll never figure it out that way. But the only way you'll be able to see those things and understand those things and have your eyes open to those things is to be willing to be obedient to those obvious things that are given to us in the Word of God before you try to unravel some mystery in Scripture, you just need to be obedient to the simple gospel of Jesus Christ and come to an altar, repent of your sins, turn away from those sins, and endeavor to serve God, be baptized in His name and filled with His Spirit, and you'll begin to see things that otherwise you cannot see. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so Nicodemus, he misunderstood all of that. And he said, well, how can a a man be born when he's old? He said, can he uh, enter back into his mother's womb and be reborn that way? And he said, you're you're totally misunderstanding what I'm saying. And Jesus said to him, he said, "Uh, uh, you must verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again of water and of spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people want to jump in that chapter all the way to verse 16, which is a very beautiful verse of Scripture. But they negate the first 15 verses of Scripture that explains what's happening in verse 16. Amen. You first must be born again. You first, if you're a believer, if you truly uh, believe what the Word of God says, you'll have no problem being obedient to it and receiving what it has for you. Opening up your heart and saying, God, whatever your Word says, that's what I want to do. I'm not here to debate it. I'm not here to argue it. I'm not here to resist it. I'm not here to oppose it. I'm here to be obedient to it because the blessing comes when I'm obedient to the Word of God. And I believe that it was still this incident in Scripture and these words that Jesus spoke that was ringing in the Apostle Peter's ears when he began to write this passage that I read to you from this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who hath begotten us. He's referring back to exactly what Jesus said when he talked about being born again. Who hath begotten us. The first phrase I want to focus on here this morning, he said hath begotten us according to his, everybody say abundant, abundant mercy. He hath begotten us. He's begotten us according to His abundant mercy. The first spiritual DNA marker that indicates a new birth experience in your life is the recognition of the rich mercy of God in your life. Really, when he speaks about abundance, that's what he's saying there is that our God has a richness when it comes to mercy. He don't just have enough. He has more than enough. He doesn't just squeak out with just enough. But He has an abundant mercy. He is rich in mercy. And in the language of the New Testament, it literally means portioned. It is in portion to His rich or abundant mercy. It's in portion to His mercy. It's not in portion to my need. I'm so glad that it doesn't say that it's just in portion uh, to what I deserve uh, or in portion to what somebody else thinks I deserve or it's not even in portion to what the Old Testament law says I deserve. But now we're living under a new covenant and it's in portion to his rich mercy. I want to tell you today you can't mix merit and mercy and end up with salvation. You have to acknowledge it's because of His mercy. It's not because I'm good. It's not because I'm great. I possess some kind of special talent. But I'm here today able to raise my hands without wrath or doubting because of the mercy of God. I'm in this place this morning because there was a Savior that went to the cross as a spotless lamb and He shed His blood so that I could be here and you could be in this service in the presence of the Lord I'm not here because I deserve it I'm here because God was good enough to allow me to be here this morning hallelujah clap your hands and give a little praise unto the Lord I hear people all the time say well when I when I get this straightened out when I get this fixed in my life when I get all of this tidied up in my life then I'm on I'm gonna serve God then I'm gonna come to church then I'm gonna I'm gonna start living for the Lord that's like saying when the fever breaks uh, I'll go to the doctor or when the bleeding stops I'll go to the emergency room no you don't get uh, you don't get good to get God you get God to get good you need the mercy of God and you need an understanding of the mercy of God in your life there's just something about it saying God I'm a mess I'm coming down to the altar and I'm depending on one thing and that's your mercy I've tried it on my own I've done it all by All of these years, and it's led to more trouble and more empty, amen, emptiness and heartache and problems. But Lord, if I've got your mercy, if I've got your grace, if I got you to intervene, amen, you're the one that can make the difference in my life. Praise God. Come on, let's give him a little worship and praise here. Abundant mercy. Rich mercy. The language used here at the Apostle Peter, actually when you study this word in the Greek back, it's connected to or a strain of a word that we use and not so much today, but maybe in the old English called plutocrat. A plutocrat is a person that has more money than they know what to do with. Used to, they would make characters of them in cartoons and they would usually have them with a top hat and maybe a cane and uh, a long-tailed coat and a vest, and, and they'd have a gold watch chain. And, and uh, you know, I guess a more modern term would be a fat cat, somebody that's just got more money than they know what to do with. Well, that's what he's referring to here. He said, God's plutocratic mercy... When it comes to you and I, God is the Warren Buffett of mercy. God is the Jeff uh, Bezos of mercy. God is... Uh, Man, uh, who, who do you want to who do you want to talk about? Uh, talk about Bill Gates. He's the Bill Gates uh, of mercy. He has abundant mercy. He has more than you need mercy. You bring a thimble full of need, and he has a, a, a Pacific Ocean full of mercy. You bring a molehill of need, and he has a Mount Everest of mercy. I'm talking about a God that has more than a up mercy to meet the needs that is in this place this morning David described the mercies of God this way in Psalm 51 he said his tender mercy that's what we need is tender mercy from God I'll tell you what tender mercy isn't have you ever received a a gift from somebody and, and they say well You know, you're the hardest person in the world that I've ever bought for. In fact, I had to go to every shopping mall within 100 miles of here to find. And it cost me so much. And you know, when you get a gift like that, you just won't give it back. I'm I'm sorry, I was so much trouble. Here you can have it. I don't need it. That's not tender Mercy. Or you got somebody that, I said, well, i forgive you, but don't expect me to ever forget it. That's not tender mercy. In fact, that's not the mercy that the Lord speaks of. Because he said that when I forgive you, I cast it in the sea of forgetfulness. And as far as the east is from the west, I'll remove it from you. I'm going to tell you, if you'll allow him, he'll deliver you so thoroughly. He'll bring you out so completely. He'll do a work. Come on now. Oh, somebody stop relying on yourself. Amen. And start relying on the mercy of God. That's why Lost misera is such a powerful story that has lived on many, many years, hundreds of years after it was written. is because it's really a story of mercy. John Valjean was a, a character in the story who was thrown in prison for 19 years because he stole one loaf of bread to feed his sister's children. And after 19 years of being in prison, upon his release, he was accepted into uh, the home of a Christian bishop who took him in and let him stay there and he repaid him by stealing all of the silver that was used in the sanctuary, the communion silver that was used in communion services and all the silver he could find. He, he stole it and, of course, it wasn't long until he was apprehended and he was brought back to face the bishop, his accuser, and his accuser looked at him and he went and got two more vessels of silver and brought them to this man and said I meant that you have these also and everybody was astonished and they couldn't believe it and then the bishop leaned over and whispered in his ears he said go do something with your life Go make something of your life. Isn't that a picture of the mercy of God when we've taken and taken and taken and taken? He reaches back and he gets some more and he whispers in our ear at an altar and says, why don't you go make something of your life? Here's a little bit of mercy. Here's another chance. Here's another opportunity. You haven't, you haven't made much of what I've given you before, but let me give you another measure of mercy and give you one more opportunity to go make something out of your life I'm telling you God's giving you every chance sir to come up out of that God's given you every chance to make new again God's given you and afforded you every opportunity that you need to make it and live for him in victory oh stretch forth your hands to the Lord right now let's give him praise If you're thankful for the mercies of God. That's why Paul could say, I beseech you therefore, brother, because of the mercies of God. You need to do something with your life. Quit blowing it. Quit spinning it like water. Realize this is something special. This is something so sacred. It's the mercies of God. When you realize the sacredness of mercy, you don't want to abuse it. You don't want to cast it and walk on it. You don't want to just trodden over it. But you realize I don't deserve this. And then in verse number three, he goes on. Or excuse me, there in that, in verse number three, he continues and he goes on. Unto a living or a lively hope is how he words it. A living hope. If you're a child of God, you are marked with a hope that will not die before you do. And he points it towards the resurrection. And we could preach it along those lines, but he calls it a lively or a living hope. And this word must have meant a great deal to the Apostle Peter. When Jesus asked his disciples, whom do men say that I am? He said, well, some say that they're Elijah. Some say this and some say that. And finally, this turns around. He said, but I want to know whom do you say that I am? And Peter stood up and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Hallelujah. The son of the living God. This was a word that he he enjoyed using in the second chapter of this same letter. He called Jesus a lively stone. Or a living stone, and then he said that the born again believers he alluded to them as lively stones. Just after the feeding of the five thousand, in John chapter number six, uh, the Bible says that Jesus went to the other side of the sea, and 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 there they wanted him to do something like this again. They wanted another great miracle. Uh, I mean. It was so great, we didn't even have to go and buy food, and he fed us. But they didn't like what he was going to serve on the menu this time. When he said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to drink of my blood and eat of my flesh. And the Bible says from that moment, many turned back. You read it in John chapter 6 and verse 66. It says that many of them turned back and followed him no more. And he looked at the, he didn't try to apologize. He didn't do any begging. He didn't do any pleading with them. He just turned around to his disciples and he said, uh, will you go away also? And notice what Simon Peter said. He said, to whom shall we go? For thou hast the words of what? Of. You have the words of life, our eternal life. You're the one that gives life. There's no life. There's no hope outside of you. So many people put hope in human relationship. And when that fails, they don't know where to go. They put hope in career. And when that fails, they don't know where to go. They put hope in the almighty dollar. And when that goes down, they don't know where to go. They put hope in gifts and talents that they possess. But when they're not able to perform those gifts and talents anymore, they don't know where to go. But I'm so thankful that we have a hope that outlives us today. We have a hope, in fact, that is going to get us out of this world. Some getting up morning, when the trumpet sounds, and there's a shout, an archangel, we're going to get out of this world. That's the hope that we're looking for. That's the hope that keeps us going. We have a hope of eternal life. And hope is the oxygen of the soul. He called it a living hope. A living hope. And when you your hope dies, so do you. That's right. It's been proven. Even most basic introductory psychology books uses the experiment of the man the scientist I forget his name to put the the rats in the beacons of water and he put the rat down in the beacon of water to see how long it could swim or tread water without help and after an hour it drowned and so he put another rat in the water and he went back and got the rodent out just before that hour and pulled it out and The next time he placed it in the water, it was able to tread water for 24 hours because it had hope that that at some point I'm going to be rescued. Some point I'm getting out of this. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter what you're facing. As long as you've got hope, you can make it. As long as you've got hope, you can live. we got a living hope, the Bible says. I know that I probably told this before but I read this and it so impacted me that in 9-11 they used of course in that rubble um, uh, at ground zero they used uh, uh, dogs to try to find any body that might be living underneath the rubble and, and a dog's senses uh, especially sense of smell is a million times more sensitive than a human being it, it can it can feel vibrations and 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 that kind of thing in the ground you and I can feel them at about 25 yards. They can feel them at some 250 yards. So you, you, you're you seeing uh, that they're much more sensitive than you and I. And so they were using these dogs to try to find anyone that had survived in the rubble of 9-11. And these dogs were finding dead body after dead body after dead body until finally they noticed even these dogs were growing discouraged and they could not hardly get them motivated to go out and search for anyone because they had not found life. And they actually began to stage mock rescues and people would hide underneath the rubble and they would allow them to find them so that the dog would be inspired to go out and search. Even a dog needed hope. I'm going to tell you, we all, every one of us, need hope to live and to survive. And you cannot survive with Without hope. Nineteen hundred, uh, Galveston Island experienced one of the the, the largest hurricane storms uh, with really a, without a lot of warning that came and and uh, overcame the seawall there and flooded and devastated people's uh, lives and property and and uh, there was the Red Cross was called in and uh, Claire Burton, who was the founder of the Red Cross, was riding a rail car from Houston down to Galveston. She's looking out the window, and she noticed all of the, all of the rubble, and she looked and saw the orchards that used to be that were there that had been destroyed because seawater had came in and destroyed and, and uh, wrecked havoc and and destroyed those orchards. And so she called She called by wire. I think she had to wire it. She wired a message for them to send millions of strawberry plants to that area. And uh, she began to plant them or instruct people to help her to plant them. And uh, they caught on to that. And there was able to be uh, a harvest and a crop that year and to this day annually the city of Galveston honors Claire Burton because uh, they call it the the strawberry festival because this lady understood in the most devastating of times. If you got a hope, you, you can plant a crop and, and you can expect a harvest. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't think it's over with. Don't, don't think it can't go any further than this, but, but plant a seed and believe that God is going to bring it up. It may take a little time, but we've got a hope that tomorrow is going to be better. It may take a, I may be in devastation today, but tomorrow it's going to be better. I may be going through something right now, but tomorrow you you better hang hang on devil. Don't celebrate. Don't get too excited. Don't do too much shouting Satan because someday amen, it's going to be better than it is right now. And we see that over and over again throughout the Scripture. Paul wrote about it in Romans Romans chapter 8 and 24. He said, we are saved by hope. In God, there's always something to look forward to. There's always something to reach for. In Exodus chapter 9, Moses told Pharaoh, I know that these people look like your slaves. And that you can just trample over them and tell them and do whatever you want to to them. But tomorrow, tomorrow about this time, God is going to set a difference and a distinction between his people and your people. No matter what it looks like right now, Pharaoh. No matter what it seems like to you right now, Pharaoh. Tomorrow about this time, things are going to change we read a similar passage of scripture in Joshua chapter 11 enemy had surrounded Israel and Joshua basically said tomorrow about this time deliverance is coming in Samuel chapter 9 we know that Israel was looking as to who would be their king and the prophet stood up and said tomorrow about this time, God is gonna reveal who is gonna be the future king of Israel. And then, of course, we know in 2 Kings chapter number 7, when Samaria had been smitten by a famine, the scripture says that the prophet stood up, prophet Elisha stood up and said, I know it looks bleak right now, I know they're selling donkeys' head. And doves dung in the marketplace for an expensive amount, but I'm just telling you tomorrow about this time where the donkey's head is hanging. There's going to be porterhouse steak, where 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 you're selling where you're selling doves dung. You just get ready. You're going to be selling corn and wheat and barley. It's coming back to the nation of Israel tomorrow about this time. Things are going to change. And there was a man upon whom the king leaned who said. if if God was to make windows in heaven, this thing couldn't be. And he said, because you saw, or because you said this, you're going to see it, but you're not going to be able to partake of it because God is looking to feed those that still have kept their hope alive. God is willing to satisfy the hunger of those that did not let their faith and their hope die out. I'm preaching to somebody that's been praying about something. You've been believing about something. You've been asking God for something. You need to square your shoulders today and say, I'm not going to let my hope die. I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep me until that day comes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, stand to your feet, raise your hands and let's worship the Lord. Yeah, how's it going to happen? Well, he tells us how it's going to happen. He says in verse five, "The power of God through faith." The power of God through faith. You know, the power of God is different than the power that we think of, as far as man is concerned. We're not talking about noisy power. You know, man shoots a gun. He launches a rocket, he drops a bomb It makes a lot of noise and makes a lot of racket. And, and I suppose to a degree it's very powerful. Powerful to us. But it does not even equate to the power of God. It's Not even comparable to the power of God. God can work in a silent power. For instance, this morning when the sun come up and it filtered through those sheer curtains in a baby's room, the rays of light came in, shined down upon that baby. That baby didn't even wake up. But at the very same time, very same time, that same power that didn't even wake up a baby was pulling hundreds and millions of gallons of water up out of the ocean forming clouds that's going to come back in the form of rain. irrigate crops gonna gonna water the ground the grass that is in your yard what are you saying I'm telling you God doesn't have to show up or show out all he has to do is show up and it's that silent power it's that silent power of God amen amen when we yield ourselves to the Lord, when we open up our hearts to God. Come on, there doesn't have to be some big, loud boom and bang and all of that. As, as the prophet said, sometimes it's just a still, small voice. You feel the Holy Ghost touch you in your heart. You feel the power of God begin to move and penetrate through all the barriers and all the things that are there. God begins to move and work and deal with us. Hallelujah. Just as that sun shines and just as it begins to do its work that sometimes goes unrecognized in this room today, God is able to touch and He's able to work and He's able to mend and He's able to put things back together and He's able to turn things back right side up and He's able to adjust things in your life that you feel are such out of control. That's the power of God. I said, that's the power of God. I said, that's the power of God. That's how mercy works. They wanted Him to come with a scepter in His hand. They wanted Him to come and exert His power. They didn't understand That he was gonna be like a lamb dumb before his shears. That he wasn't gonna open. I'm talking about silent power. Silent power is not having to answer your critics, but just going to a cross and saying, Here I am to do what I said I was gonna do. Silent power is not bragging about it. And it's stolen your great virtues. But it's just spreading your hands wide open and saying, if they they need a Savior, here I am. Amen. If they'll just believe on me, here I am. If they'll just put their faith in me, here I am. I'm able through the blood that I'm going to offer right here to cleanse them. No matter what the sin is. No matter what the trouble is. No matter what the past is. I'm able to cleanse it. there's somebody like to access that power here today somebody like to experience that power here this morning why don't you step out where you are and make your way if you're just thankful for it why don't you step out and make your way to this altar but let's come and let's spend a little time in the presence of God let's come to this altar and open up our hearts to whatever it is that God would want to do in this place We need the Spirit of the Lord to touch us. We need the presence of God to move upon us. We need to respond to the mercies of God and the goodness of God that is displayed in this room. God is moving. God is touching people's hearts. God, I thank you.